Let us not be ashamed to speak what we shame not to think. Michel de Montaigne In a realm abound with fragility and fabrication, truth is forced underground. We must, as sentinels do, provide sanctuary to the marketplace of ideas. And so, let us prepare to proclaim boldly and contend forthrightly before the court. This is Candor and Counter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Counter. Last week, we talked about, well, it's a long one. Yeah, essentially <laughs> like American history, revisionist, revisionism, or preservation. Yeah. Uh, that's the basis of it. Yeah. Pretty accurate. Yeah. Uh, uh, we dug in this week, and I say that every I'm tired of saying dug in. Every time I'm <laughs> editing now, I may I may delete that one out because I catch it now when I say it because I, I probably said it four times last episode. Dig, 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 dig. I'm not going to say it anymore. Anyway. There was a lot to dig into, though. Yeah, we, we kind of cover ourselves in that information. I'm disappointed in how much I didn't my brain locked up because I went to say dig again. <laughs> I I'm disappointed in how much I uh didn't go into this topic as much as I usually do. I was down and sick this week. I still am if you can hear it, guys, but I'm sorry. I'm not my usual self. But uh I didn't go very deep and it was actually a topic that I was really excited about. But I mean I have had revelations i don't know if revelations that may be too strong a word but i did come across things that sort of corrected what i thought and some things that reinforced how i felt and but we'll get into that right it's very common for people not to be 100 percent behind something all the time or the other way around 100 percent against something because i think after looking at those sixteen nineteen project, there are some things that I agree with. Yeah, I think that there's an what is that? There's a common phrase that like the best I don't know, I can't remember how they phrase that. It's basically like every lie has a kernel of truth. Right, 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 right. 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 So it's like you can't they wouldn't frame a totally inaccurate from top to bottom set of historical facts that wouldn't lend any credence to what they were doing right if you're going to be and i'm not trying to attribute their motivations i'm all i can see is what they're doing but i i'm not trying to say they're being malicious is what i'm trying to say but if you wanted to adjust an ideology you have to convince some people that it's true. And to do that, you have to use truth in some way. Right. Yeah, that just makes sense. Right. And so you can't just throw slander down on paper and expect everybody to believe it. You got to like reinforce it somehow. I didn't read into the 1619 project as much 
as I thought I would. I guess it's probably because I came up on a couple brick walls. Yeah, there's a... Well, at first I found a paywall. I just recently found a way to access the the original Times information without subscribing. Um, and we'll go through that in a little bit. I did want to touch on one thing that I found. Give me a second. I shared this on the page <clears throat> it on our Facebook post. I shared this on our Facebook post. And it was an article. It's very short. It's actually a blog. It's an opinion. It's not like there's there's not any heavy facts in this thing. But it was a perspective that sort of shifted how I felt about revising history. Did you read that blog? Is who was it from? It's on uh, vt.edu. So the essential practice of historical revisionism is the title of his article, and it's by a user. It's not like. This isn't an official publication, but because it shifted my perspective, that's why I shared it. And I could almost read the whole thing because it's so short, but I'm going to highlight what I feel is important here. And he starts off by saying the concept of historical revisionism is rife with pejorative and negative connotations. Oftentimes the concept is equated with deliberate and malicious reworking of historical narratives to serve a purpose whether political or ideological. Yeah. (laughs) Keep running things together and anyway, whether political or ideological, this attempt to cast historical revisionism in a negative light is damaging to the process of writing and investigating history and undermines the work of many professional historians who engage in historical revisionism as an essential process in the field. McPherson, he's James McPherson, he's mentioned in the earlier paragraph, argues that, in fact, historical revisionism is an important and integral part in seeking to learn the truth or gain a different perspective on historical events. Is everybody following right now? Yeah. 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 That was actually something I was going to touch on. To not engage in the process of analyzing new data and evidence, view an event from a different lens, or consider that certain accepted facts or narratives may be fabrications, would be equivalent to historians actively choosing not to do their job. This negative connotation may in part be due to the the related but different practice of negationism or denial the practitioners of which deliberately lump themselves into the revisionist school of thought in order to lend credibility to their claims. Last bit here. The practice practice of historical revisionism is crucial in presenting an objective, academic, and truth-based narrative on a particular historical event. The historian must be willing to look at history and accepted narratives and be willing to adapt their perspective based on new evidence or analyze an event from a different perspective. While this may be difficult and challenge long held notions about a historical event figure or process, it is absolutely essential in the practice of truly academic historical pursuit. We as amateur historians must be willing to accept that our preconceived notions may not be an absolute or follow a particular worldview, which we are accustomed to. 
In order to engage in academic historical work, we have to be able to adapt and accept new evidence, counterclaims, and varied perspectives in order to maintain objectivity in our work. Some stuff I ran into uh, was that revisionism, you know, isn't inherently bad, but it's given this connotation that even we felt for it uh, in the first episode. Yeah. This one slapped me in my face a little bit. And that's why I was going for it right away, because I wanted to tackle the issue that we definitely were like history is history and you don't touch it. But I think that I'm not saying we were wrong. I think that what we were saying is what what was kind of like implied versus what we really meant, I guess. Yeah, because when when we were saying like history is history, don't. modify it we didn't mean like as it is now as it's known we meant like in its truest form what happened like if you took a video recorder went back to like the mongol invasion and went recorded it like that is history yeah not what is in the book currently with intent to manipulate i think that it was obvious that that's what we meant Mm mm-hmm but I think it's definitely we should definitely clarify. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. We were, yeah. We realized that just like in scientific endeavors, new evidence means you have to be willing to accept a pos- a new possible outcome. So when new evidence comes out, even in the realm of history, we yeah. are willing to open our eyes. Yeah, we aren't saying it's fair to rewrite. We can't a be book. willing to. Yeah, it's fair to rewrite a book if it's proven wrong, right? Yeah. And, you know, the 1619 Project comes up with some things that says this was a little bit whitewashed or, you know, this was left out. And that's fair, too. There is a delicate balance. I'm not trying to make excuses for whoever did editing in textbooks or whatever. Like, I'm not trying to back them up. But there is a risk. There's this, um, when you're condensing anything... You know, oh, yeah, misconstrue like on accident or oversimplify yeah. because you, you have to condense a whole history into a chapter that's covered in a week or whatever, like, you know, a couple of hours of history class for that school or whatever. I'm sure that this is a major problem for most subjects, you know, most school subjects. You can't go too in depth. And so those later studies are at higher education and not everybody goes for that. So, you know, that's a limited audience understands the true history or whatever. So I, I get a lot of the concerns that the 1619 project has in addressing some of the missing information mm-hmm. and fair representation that's supposed to sort of happen in history. Yeah. The, uh, there, there was a point. So if you don't know about the 1619 movement, uh, it originally started out as this woman. That, that was something else. Uh, what was her name? Uh, the woman that started the 1619 project is Nicole Hannah Jones. And she started this movement that was picked up by New York Times and and then distributed and then became a curriculum and grew into this thing. Yeah. When, when it started, it was 
basically an article. It was supposed to be. I think it was an essay, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it was like a collection of essays. Yeah, or I don't know like that. Yeah, uh, but it, it was supposed to be put in the New York Times. Well, for, they brought it up and they said, "Hey, this is something we want to do." And New York Times was like, "Yeah, absolutely, we we want to put that in in our paper." So, uh, but when it started. I mean, that's all it was supposed to be. It was just supposed to be something they put in their product and just... Publication. Yeah. It quickly grew into something more. Yeah, it was supposed to be this consumer-based yeah. thing. It was, it was... When it was moved on to become a curriculum, that should have been the red flag. Right. It, it, if it was a piece written by this person, Nicole Hannah Jones, did I get that right? Nicole yeah. Hannah Jones. When she wrote this piece or, or whatever, when she was approached by Pulitzer, first of all, I think that's an issue because Pulitzer being a, an investigative journalist, I, I awards. I also found it odd that she won a Pulitzer for it. Yeah. But I'm I'm also pretty sure that that New York Times had to file a retraction on factual information. Really, I, I I read that they put works of fiction in with the original essays, and I found that odd because I don't know what, they did what they put works of fiction in with the essays. Like I didn't read them, but it said poems and works of fiction. Oh yeah, so the 1619 project is this sort of this was before the curriculum thing. conglomeration of things. And when you see it, that's to me, that's when you're trying to integrate into history using the 1619 project, it's already, it's not apolitical. It's not separate from a political ideology. That's a problem for me. And I, I know this episode isn't supposed to be just about the 1619 project. It's about to be the revision but and preservation of it. But this is a very strong example yeah. right now that's current. Yeah, definitely. There were a couple of, significantly problematic areas in, in the 1619 project. And one of those was the, the fact that preserving slavery was a, one of the reasons or motivations for the primary motivations for the American revolution. This was stated in the 1619 project. And from what I could read, from what I could find that does not seem to be supported by historians. And there's, I mean, there's no proof to back it up. Right. Although, to be fair, I did look up the Times retraction of that point, And this is the Times retraction of that point. I'll read it out loud. Today, we are making a clarification to a passage in an essay from the 1619 Project that has sparked a great deal of online debate. The passage in question states that one primary reason the colonists fought the American Revolution was to protect the institution of slavery. This assertion has elicited criticism from some historians and support from others. We stand behind this basic point. I mean, there is more listed there, but so their clarification is not a retraction. Right. In essence. So I wanted to put that on air because I'd used the word retraction earlier. So I didn't want to misrepresent what they said. 
because they didn't retract what they said. They just said, nah, we're they good. said it's true. We see you guys. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so there was there was lots to cover there. I'm gonna put the link, by the way, in the this is from the Hofstra University Library, but there's a 1619 project link where anyone can view the full PDF and I'll put it on our Facebook um, post. Good stuff. And there was one last thing I wanted to cover with the 1619 project itself. And that was specifically its ties to ideological movements and political goals. And we talked about how history should be separate from ideologies. Yeah. That history should be history. Yeah. It should be known information and or as not adding context that doesn't exist. Right. Right. As closely contexted information as possible mm -hmm. with the information we have. I mean, you, you'll never get a hundred percent accurate, even with a secondhand story. Yeah, I'm not saying you don't have historical fact within the 1619 Project. Right. I'm saying because they make no attempt to be historians and separate themselves from any political ideology or anything like that and just present the facts, that to me poses a problem. And I'll... I will say, like, I don't think it's a bad thing to learn more, right? More education is always better in every case. So an attempt to teach people more about slavery and the effects, while not a bad thing. Yeah, if you're trying an, to fill the gaps in. Yeah. Yeah. Using an ideology to do so isn't the way to do it. Right. So well, like, it, it gives you it throws suspicion on you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you wanted people, you should just lay the story out. I like agree. you just lay out this is what everybody's not teaching you. Here's where they go. From being educational educational and factual yeah. into being political. This was the original edition published in the New York Times. This is slide 14. Our founding ideals of liberty and equality were false when they were written. Black Americans fought to make them true. Without this struggle, America would have no democracy at all. That's an assertion beyond the past. See what I'm saying? It's like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm maybe that's saying, a little too unfair to say because you on. could say, well, if the founding fathers did no standing up, then there would be no democracy at all. So, right. I mean, that's fair. I won't say they're wrong. However, you can't, you can't say that's true. You can't say that's 100% true. There's like you, right. no, no one knows, that. right? No one knows whether or not it's a hypothetical yeah. situation. Yeah, that was one of the tamer statements in there. I just wanted to move that was the start, right? And as there's lots of articles in here, stories and historical fact that ties into chattel slavery and making its way through and then you come across this is the first inkling for me a picture from 2016 out during a black lives matter rally and there's nothing 
these articles dig into the modern issue of racial division and how it's all tied back to slavery. All right. So in order to understand the brutality of American capitalism, you have to start on the plantation. Okay. So in my opinion, this statement uses an emotional appeal to the brutality of slavery and correlates slavery to the evil of capitalism. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it just ties them together and they are separate things, right? Yes. The slaves were sold on a capitalist market. It I'm doesn't not, make capitalism right. itself. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say I'm a hundred percent happy with capitalism. Right. Like it's just not true. Well, I don't, in my opinion, this could be a longer topic, but I don't think a perfect financial system exists. Yeah. Right? Like capitalism has plenty of flaws that I'm aware of, but they're, I don't, they're not connected to slavery in my opinion. Right, just because like they were they were used for slavery, but yeah, I mean, it just it just really has nothing to do with it. It's like, and the the way they classify it, they, the the way they describe it, the brutality of American capitalism, American capitalism, right? Because I mean, so capitalism existed before America. The idea, as did slavery, and. uh no, they weren't connected. Not until And there are some assertions here about like double bookkeeping and they they draw direct lines. They draw direct lines from bookkeeping on the plantation to Microsoft Excel and how we benefit in modern times from slavery. It just to me <sighs> They just reach too far, yeah. you know, and not only do they reach too far, they don't have any business reaching. You can have an opinion, but why would you align it with a, a historical revision project? This makes me not trust you. This is the kind of stuff that bleeds through into curriculum that you want to teach my children. That That's where I start to have a problem with it. Like if this was just... A New York Times piece. Yeah. Yeah. If this was just a piece, I'd be all about reading on it and like compare and contrast. Yeah. I mean, we did this week, I guess. So, but once it becomes, you know, general education, like in public schools, granted, all of the curriculums that are designed, they aren't edits on the current curriculum, they're only added. Yeah, that was something we were uh, needing to cover. Yeah. The the curriculums added by the 1619 movement, they're additions. Yeah, it's not a reductionist, right. erasing history type. Even Hannah Nicole Jones said, like, we need to talk about George Washington. We just don't need to idolize him. You know what I mean? And that's a fair thing to say. So from a historical perspective. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. I mean that that was one of the things that I 
didn't have a problem with the 1619 movement because they are only adding things. But you're adding the wrong things. Yeah. If if you were going in with the goal of teaching more about slavery, teaching more about the effects slavery had on the economy, I'd be okay with that. But them connecting everything else to slavery. slavery. Like if it was just those two things and like yeah. maybe a little bit more. It becomes clear that when you go into it with this goal, that you can make these connections, right? Like when they tried to to claim that the revolution was primarily fueled by the the need to preserve slavery. And historians were coming out against it. Like the the point they brought up on things being passed down through generations. What is that called? Inheritance. Slaves didn't have that to give to their children mm-hmm. after they were freed. Mm-hmm. So that affected the African-American community as they mm-hmm. progressed alongside. Building generational wealth versus right. the other. Yeah. Which I completely agree with like that. Right. That tracks, I guess, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. And there are, a few other things, but then you look at the entirety of the 1619 movement and it I, like just to allow these three things to be taught, I have to let all this other stuff be taught. It's like, you know, There's a difference between at like, if you're trying to be the source as a historian, as the leader of the 1619 project, the originator, the writer, I was listening to Nicole Hannah Jones speak. And she was saying, like what you were talking about, if you wanted... Was it on that radio show? It may have been. So I was listening to Nicole Hannah-Jones do a talk. And I think I was going to reference what you were talking about earlier with the generational wealth and being passed down, being factually part of history and how that maybe needed to be included, but when you in- include all this extraneous things, all of these extraneous things, it tarnishes your ability to effectively do that. And when she was talking, you know, she specifically was asked while she was presenting the 1619 project, um, whether we should have reparations. And she was like, yeah, we, we should definitely be making cash payments to the surviving African-Americans. And I'm not here to negotiate that point, but what I'm saying is that is a current ideological position while you're presenting your revised history to the world. And I, I just feel like it's too... The ideology and the history are too intertwined at that point. And that shouldn't be how it is. Right. I think if now granted she was on stage and asked a question, uh, it's not like she said that in the thing. I'm only saying she doesn't seem to separate it as historical fact. Right. I think if you do separate it, I mean, it should be taught a hundred percent, right? Most of the portions of history that are showed within the, 1619 movement that are actually history and not modified by any ideological beliefs 
100% should be taught. When history and taught at school, it's usually like these pieces of history are tied to effects they've had on modern day society. And I think that that portion of where she's saying that the lives of African-Americans now affected by that, affected by slavery and how they tie in isn't a bad thing. Like that being in history class wouldn't be as bad. But then you tie in literally everything else in the 1619 movement. Yeah. But when you wrap it all together, it becomes too much. Right. And, but the thing is you can't open that door. You can't open that door to let ideology run the show at all. Like you can't, can't even crack it. I'm not saying to crack it. I'm saying to remove the ideology. Yeah, I was I was agreeing with you. Okay, yeah. Yeah, remove the ideology from the 1619 movement or project and take the history that they've pulled and put up front in the front of the 1619 mm-hmm. project and put that into schools and I think that's perfectly fine. I think before you put it in schools it needs to be fairly peer reviewed. Oh, that's uh, true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so after it was Put into school, which it's in over 2,000 schools, by the way. Um, the 1619 project is taught in over 2,000 school districts. Really? So not more than, not 2,000 schools, no. 2,000 school districts. Yeah. How is the implement, in, implementation of it uh, handled? Is it like after school? Is no, it, no, this uh, is part during, of the history yeah. curriculum. Really? Mm-hmm. The Missouri, I don't know if you saw the 19, or sorry, 1141 house ban. Uh, there was a representative from Missouri that moved a uh, a bill, 1141, I believe. It was an amendment on the 1141 bill for Missouri. And it banned, I don't remember what the wording was exactly. I read through all of the 1141 bill trying to find it, and I realized it, it was an amendment. So I have all the information <laughs> of the 1141 bill plus all the amendments. So I don't remember exactly what the wording was, but it essentially banned the eleven or sorry 1619 movement uh, from being taught. Not specifically the 1619 movement. There was like some wording yeah. that made it include the 1619 movement. Project, but yes. Or yeah. So there, yeah, there's movements around the, around the country to try to block this from happening. And these are the reasons they're using historical inaccuracies, the indoctrination rather than education of children right? for like political ideologies and things like that. And I agree with that. I think that there is um, inherent dangers. I mean, there's real factual dangers in errors that aren't peer reviewed and the ideological spectrum that comes with that. Here's slide 44 that states why doesn't the United States have universal health care? The answer begins with policies enacted after the Civil War. So here they are again with the automatic assumption that the, yeah. the person is going to see a problem in the fact that the United States doesn't have universal health care. Right? And I'm not here to argue about universal health care right now, but I'm just saying, like, that's a political stance. That's not a historical 
perspective <laughs> right. or fact, you know. Well, it is a perspective, but it isn't a fact. But it's not. It's, you're tying something into history that doesn't have to do with it. And she said, you know, when she was on stage, that their goal was to show how much of America's current problems or situation is tied to slavery and its existence. And But this is what they're doing. They're drawing all these lines. Mm. And they're drawing them to current political situations. And this, to me doesn't scream historical education. It does not. Slide 50. American democracy has never shed an undemocratic assumption present at its founding that some people are inherently entitled to more power than others. So they're trying to draw lines to current struggles with CRT and the disproportionately affected oppressed people's and how that is caused by slavery. More political ideology. No, I mean, not no. There is some historical it, fact. It kills me because, it, like, there are some things I, I share a stance on them with. My problem starts with when the, it's trying to teach history because it, it's like you can talk at me from two directions, but do it from those two separate yeah. directions. Teach me history from a historical, factual perspective. And talk to me about current current ideologies. Don't do them both. And you can even, when you're talking to me about the current ideologies, you can talk about how the past affects it. But it doesn't belong in education. That's, that's the part that kills me. Because there are several things I agree with them on. But they're trying to tie it into education and... Yeah. Because we said last week, leave the moral and ideological assumptions right. to who? The person, the, reader. the, the yeah, person exactly. who's learning. Exactly. Uh, I ran into, I don't know if you guys did too, I ran into a term post-revisionism. Did you guys run into that at all? I don't. I don't think so. Could you tell me about it? Yeah, run, run it back. Well, it's, it's basically what you're describing is taking oh. history... I mean, it's a little more nuanced, but taking history objectively, right, and leaving the more morality and ideologies out of it and letting the reader interpret it themselves. Oh, okay. So it's exactly what we were saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that's called post-revisionism. I mostly saw it used when talking about what caused, like, the start of the Cold War and the Vietnam War. Because I didn't realize this, but apparently that's a really controversial topic is how the, the, among historians, how the Cold War started. And post-revisionism came in and said, basically, it wasn't really anyone's fault. It was just a hot time and things were brewing. This reference to post-revisionism, I do struggle with a little bit. And I, I struggle with it, not just because of the, like, idea of it. Like, it, it sells to me pure fact, right? Mm -hmm. But, I mean, when you take, say, the Holocaust, right? I'm not disagreeing that we should say that it's wrong. Like, I'm... But that's not a fact. That's... It is wrong, but, <laughs> like, that's a... It's a, it's a moral implication it's that It's a you moral decide. judgment. Yeah. Right. 
but should they teach it that yeah that's wrong i mean obviously you clearly have to say yeah they were evil so we had to fight them you don't, i don't think you clearly have to say it i mean i i think a a child can come to their own terms that that is a wrong thing i don't i mean you can just say they killed 6 million i mean you can elaborate every, but i'm yeah, just saying bit, i'm you can I'm say that and boiling it down i can but. almost guarantee you every other child in that room is going to go wow that was horrible mm-hmm. I, I don't think re- removing moral implications on that is going to have any negative effect but i mean you don't think that there's any any kind of we don't need to say i'm just sort of playing both sides here i'm just trying to you know what yeah. i mean but i'm saying legal out I don't the truth think, here a little bit i don't think because there are delicate Balances. I don't think the school, the teachers need to, the the history books need to state it, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. I think the person who is supporting the child should help them realize that that is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Like whoever's parenting? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think the school needs to. Yeah, I mean, it's not... A school's job. Right. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say it is. So you don't think it's I don't necessary think... for a school to say, this is what happened during the Civil War. Slavery was bad. So the North fought the South, you know, blah, blah, blah. You don't think that's necessary to include that in there? I don't think no. it's necessary. I mean, I think I'm not opposed to it just because I happen to agree with it. Thankfully, uh, I guess that's but I guess we have to be opposed to it if right, we're exactly. going to say. Thankfully, we have an entire society outside of the education system that helps us realize that. Yeah. I don't disagree with you. I yeah. was just trying to tease out because these are questions, you know what no, I mean, yeah. that are going to. I agree. It just, I, I think that thank, we have a society and we have family members that hopefully believed those things were bad and help us realize that if we don't come to it or on our own conclusion. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think leaving it morally am- ambiguous, it doesn't really inspire people to do the bad things that are written because the people that have done bad things have been reprimanded in like Mm -hmm. pretty much every case that we're taught. Right. So, I mean, we agree that we've said many, many times history needs to be pure historical fact and the rest of it left out. And as we go through the 1619 project and we see like on slide 56 myths about physical racial differences were used to justify slavery and are still believed by doctors today. What? What? And there's an article here. You can read it, page 57. I'm going to send this link out to you guys, and you guys can dig into it more. I'm just hitting the highlights. Do you? Am I the only one a little lost with that last slide? Hmm? I don't really understand what it's trying to say. There were myths um, around the time of slavery about the differences in in anatomy. the bodies or anatomy yeah. of, of black people versus whites. And they're saying that this still continues today. I don't. 
know that that draws a direct line, but that I don't even care that it does. That's not the point of today's podcast. Our point is to say, that's not like what a scientist today is thinking about in 2016. Like that's when their survey was done. What does it have to do with what you're teaching the kid? Like it doesn't, you know, cause that's not in that history lesson. <laughs> But here's what it says. The 2016 survey of 222 white medical students and residents published in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences showed that half of them endorsed at least one myth about physiological differences between black people and white people, including that black people's nerve endings are less sensitive than white people's. When asked to imagine how much pain white or black patients experienced in hypothetical situations, the medical students and residents insisted that black people felt less pain. A majority of these doctors to be also still believed the lie that black skin is thicker than white skin. So anyway, and they go on to talk about how that disconnect matters, but I'm not. And like David said earlier, we don't mind having this discussion. Like, yeah, right. Obviously, if this survey shows to be, is true, then yes, like there's there obviously be, something. I think there needs to be more study done. Yeah. But I, I think that if you want to use this as a, a, do, a way to open a door into discussing this, do that. But it's, this isn't the arena. Yeah. It really, it, and it might be this way. Maybe it's being misconstrued slightly, but it seems like, the 1619 project is in like a ideology with them being like, all right, there's a few things also about history that we also want to say. Make sense. Yeah. Like it seems more like a political ideology with some historical facts thrown in. Which isn't what it was presented as. Right. That's definitely not material you develop a curriculum from. Uh, definitely not. Because this seems, the 1619 Project seems more something that a parent would talk to their child about than a history teacher would talk to their student about. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it belongs in a school either. It's like it has this tone that the ideology brings to it when you put it in. Yeah, that was the reference to altering the perspective and their goal is to take the reader and put them in the perspective of the African-American. Right. Right. And I, I'm not disagreeing that it doesn't help to look from a different perspective, but I'm saying, tell the story. Don't, that was don't lead the reader to the finish line. That's not your job. That was one of the the points. As a historian, a lot of their, or several, I should say, not a lot, several of their, historical tie-ins mm-hmm. allow a new perspective to slavery that I didn't have while I was in school, which is awesome. I wish I had seen more of that in school. Can you go back to that music slide? Mm-hmm. You want to read that for the listener? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's a good idea. What slide is it? Uh, for centuries, black music forged in bondage has been the sound of complete artistic freedom. No wonder everybody is always stealing it. 
Slide 60, by the way. Which I don't, I don't have a lot of problems with this one. Well, that's the whole thing is we don't have to disagree with what they're saying. But the fact is, does it belong in here as a history lesson? That's I mean, where it gets me. Like, there are several points that I 100% agree with. That's true. But then I don't it, like the way it's presented. Yeah. Right. But then it's shown as a as a history lesson that you can... Well, we shouldn't say it is because it's not part of the curriculums it's entirely. True. But the fact that they're pulling from this to build the curriculums is where the, the disconnect comes in, where the problem shows up. Yeah. That, that's the entire issue. And we're, we hit this every slide that we get to. It's the same thing. It's like, it doesn't even matter if you agree with it or not, like, because it isn't the place to have that discussion, you know, just saying that African-American music is forged in bondage is not necessarily factually false, right? That, that would be probably a true thing, right. but to draw that line all the way out to current time and then say, uh, now everybody's stealing our music that is a opinion you know well, and it's, it's a like, hard claim to make yeah like, i mean some modern people would say we borrow or it, that we're a melting pot and, and creativity is uh organic right yeah exactly i mean and i feel like amalgamation of things you listen to experience and learn and also not so steal um i'm not disagreeing with this where they where they say has been the sound of complete artistic freedom however you can't tie that to always stealing it because. And I don't even think it was stolen, right? Because it's. It blended it's music, into. Man. Yeah. yeah. Music has that. That sort of alloy nature where it melds together. Yeah, it's it's a it's a universal language almost. And like, you know, yeah. it's an organic movement. I mean, I think that about ties it all together. You know, we're basically done. We've come to the end where we've analyzed the way we felt last week about history. And I don't think our perspective changed. I mean, does anybody disagree with that? No. Nah. I, by just the way I would describe my views have changed. I mean, we acknowledged we do. We did change on the fact that history does deserve revising in, from time to time based on new evidence. Yeah. In the right. way where you come to a more truer truth, like a, yeah, like people are wrong and that's just in every case. So when it happens with our written history, it should be amended. Yeah. And it, we sounded a little final last week when we were talking about how um, there should be zero change. You yeah. know, we were, we were sort of like yeah. standing guard at the door of history and you won't touch it, but that's, we understand that, um, there is malleability in learning new things. And so certainly that was something that um, maybe we didn't shift on, but we clarified a little better because we already believed that way. We just didn't really explain it properly. And, um, but <clears throat> using the 1619 project today as sort of, yeah, I was going to say, we also kind of learned, I mean, we learned more about the 1619 movement in general and got more, a clear picture. Yeah. And it wasn't the only example used in the question. Um, but as you can see here, we like to draw things out. <laughs> we also, 
kind of largely went over the other points on the topic in the first in the on the monuments and things like that yeah and and there are some other broader points that can speak to this preservation and revision in history other points in the culture that we could use we just used this sort of current 1619 project as a barometer right you know i think i keep saying movement it's project yeah there's a lot of terms flow around but yeah 1619 project there were i was looking up the uh 1776 project as well and i also came up with like 70 1776 unity 1776 project 1776 commission well yeah the commission was formed to do the project Oh, okay. Yeah, that was sort of the directive by the president to start the project to combat 1619. But the problem is they're using the same methodology, meaning like you combine ideology, this yeah. ultra patriotism. Yeah. And like, Orthodox. And I'm as much of a patriot as you're going to find. Which, but as it makes me so angry that it's efficient. Mm-hmm. It's efficient, efficient at gathering momentum. And so is the 1619 project. These people like neat packages, you know, they don't like the messiness of history and the messiness of individual thought where the person gets to decide on their own what it means. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I think it goes back to that group thing we talked about like four episodes ago where like people like to be part of a group. Mm -hmm. They, they, there's a safeness there. Yeah. Security and identity. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, but the dangers of it we've talked about too. And I just, I don't think that belongs in there. And I don't think you guys do either. You can form your own identity. Yeah. You know, you don't need to be told what it is. And so all in all. Yeah. Long and short of it. (laughs) We know that history is important and we know that protecting is an important is an important job but that job belongs to the historians certainly and it doesn't belong to the ideologues because the ideologues are too biased to present your own your history you know i think we all agree on it yeah yeah you know do you guys think do you think there's a reason that's good enough to bypass this mixing of ideology and Oh, to like allow it be Yeah, is there a good enough reason to let that slide ever? Not for history. I nah, I, I'm too attached to history being strictly truth. Yeah, like once you abandon that ideal, yeah. what do you have? Uh, yeah. If. No. Yeah, it, I, I wouldn't be able to. I'm, I'm, there's too much that could go wrong. Yeah. By allowing opinion into a, a fact based. Yeah, like take the 1619 project, for example. If they're trying to say, well, let's overcorrect, right? So say you want to. You don't just want to lift up African-Americans while you teach this history, right? Say you, you, you're trying to, with a politically driven idea, 
fix some problem, right? And that's in their minds an ultimate good. You understand what I'm saying? They're not trying to be malicious in the way that not evil, right? They're trying to do good in their in their aim. That's their goal. But if you agree that's misguided or not, I that doesn't matter. I'm just saying like they have this true good aim, right? And is that aim good enough to bypass these sort of standards you need to set for history? And you might help that particular person or group at that time. But like we talked about in the, yeah, it's like, I agree with a lot of things they, they say in, in the 1619 project, but I, I do not agree that it should be taught in education. And that's where I have to draw that line. Because you might be the one in control of the narrative today, but you've set the precedent that you can use it as a, some people would say weapon, but even if you want to sort of deify it, if you're using it as a chisel for the American mind, well, when the person you don't like is in power and controls the narrative, they get the same power. Right. It just sets a precedent it might be okay Even, for you now and yeah. you might do some little good or whatever, but I, if you don't make it strictly truth, fact, and history, then all it does is leave it open for someone who may be doing wrong. You know, may have, it may be someone like Hitler, which will misconstrue the facts and use them in manipulative propaganda to make the country respond in um dangerous he was evil ways very good at that yeah if, if you they rewrote their history if if you got to yeah. see the the uh german propaganda it was wild they completely rewrote their entire history and that and, that's where the danger lies like yeah. your country may not fall apart if you leave your history lesson to Nicole Hannah Jones. Your history may not fall apart if you leave it to Nicole Hannah Jones, but if you leave it to the ideologues, that's your danger. Yeah, right. right that's yeah. dangerous territory. She may not collapse your country. I mean, it was but how quickly the next that person happen? who it controls was, your children might. And like and we said last it. week, regardless of whether your intent is good, Manipulation is never the is never the key. Not. That's not yeah. the is not going to be the answer. Not for history. Um, well, manipulation is bad. Period. And not for America specifically. History should be left right. untouched. Right. right. Yeah, that's just how it should be, unadulterated. In my opinion. So that brings us here. We're finished. We told you how we feel. We wonder how you feel, and if you want to share it with us, you can go to our Facebook page, and you can post your opinion. Tell us what you think about the 1619 Project. Tell us what you think about revising American history or preserving it. If you want to submit a talk, you can go to counterencounter.com slash submit. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, if you could go and give us a review, that would really help us. If you're on our website, you can go to the link at the top. It says Podchaser. Give us a review there. Let us know what you think. You can find us on Facebook all the time, sharing new stuff. We're glad you came out tonight and listen to us ramble on and repeat the same stuff over and over again. It's just who we are. But we love you guys as a human being. We're really glad you listened.
Thank you, everyone, for listening. So until next time. Later, guys. Teach about history the way history should be teated. <laughs> what the heck was teated? I don't. I just quit.